Hi, readers. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. Riley Sager's first novel, Final Girls, was a national and international bestseller that has been published in more than two dozen countries. In his latest novel, Home Before Dark, a woman returns to the house made famous by her father's bestselling horror memoir. Is the place really haunted by evil forces, as her father claimed, or are there more earthbound and dangerous secrets hidden within its walls? Let's join Penguin editor Maya Ziv in conversation with author Riley Sager. Hi, my name is Maya Ziv, and I am an executive editor at Denton, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and I am excited to be interviewing one of my favorite authors, Riley Sager, who is the author of four thrillers, three New York Times bestsellers, um, including Home Before Dark, which came out last month um, and hit the New York Times list and has received rave reviews. So Riley, thank you for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? Good, how are you doing? Um, These are weird, yeah. (laughs) That's really the only answer. It's like, eh, you know, I'm home, you're home. Not to put you on the spot, but I loved a tweet of yours recently that I think spoke to maybe how you're feeling. That tweet. <laughs> <this> current moment. <laughs> I, we can't even quote it because it's filled with profanity, but it just like, it just went like super viral, like almost immediately. And there were typos in it. And I just went, of course, you know, my tweet that gets like the most attention is the one with two errors in it. Oh, well. No, I love it. I think you've been kind of such a honest, um, realistic voice on Twitter about what it's like to be writing a book during this time because you, just for people who don't know, write a book a year, which is amazing. And as your editor, I can say it always um, comes in just with, I don't know, near perfect. So I don't know how you do it. And I especially can't imagine how you're doing it right now. So I I don't know how I do it either. And I especially don't know how I'm doing it now. When I wrote that tweet, it was when the tropical storm was coming through and I'm sitting there, the lights are flickering. Um, It had been like 90 degrees for like the past two weeks. And, you know, we've been stuck at home since March and it just, it all just like build up. And I'm like, I just dashed off this tweet with like misspellings in it. Like, (laughs) I don't care. I'm feeling angry right now. Um, well, speaking of editing, you are going to turn in that new book in the coming weeks. So um, I just thought this was funny when we were both asked if we would do this podcast. You said, quite frankly, I've been grilled enough by Maya <laughs> lately. So I'm going to try to go easy on you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and I, I said it in jest. I know. And love. I, I loved it. Um, but the good news is we're talking about a book that's already written that as I've mentioned like a proud parent has gotten rave reviews so um home before dark do you mind kind of giving me your one line pitch oh well how about two lines because this is a book that cannot be summed up in a single sentence really it's a book within a book not to give that away but go on it it is i've i've tried to summarize it really quickly like that two sentence pitch it's like "Mm, this is hard so home before dark is about this woman named maggie who 25 years ago lived in a house with her parents in Vermont called Bainbury Hall. And they left in the middle of the night after 20 days, claiming it was haunted. And Maggie's father wrote a book about it that became this huge nonfiction horror memoir. And so she's lived in the shadow of this book all her life. 
and her father passes away. She inherits the house, and Maggie decides to return to fix it up, but really to find out the truth about why they really left that night, because she never believed her father's story. And as soon as she gets there, she starts to experience some weird things right out of the book her father wrote, and she begins to think that maybe what he wrote was true. And as you said, it is a book within a book. There is Maggie's return to the house, and then there's the entire book that her father wrote, and um, they're intertwined. And so it's sort of like two different stories being told at the same time, 25 years apart. I can't wait to read it again. It's so delicious. I'm like, even though I've read it probably six times now. Um, how did the structure come to you and which book was easier to write? Oh, that's a very good question. The, the structure originally, I don't think I ever told you this. My original idea was to kind of pull a psycho and to have the first half of the book be the past story that her father wrote and for it to be like readers would go in thinking because the jacket copy would only mention, oh, a family moves into this house and they experience yeah. strange things. And then halfway through the book, surprise, it's a book. And here's the daughter returning to the house 25 years later. And then the other half would be Maggie's return to the house. But I, I didn't do that for one, just with the internet being what it is, that would be spoiled immediately. Like the first person who got an advanced copy would probably put on Goodreads like, oh, it's about a book that's in a book. And, <laughs> and I just figured that's not the way to go. But also I wanted there to be a lot of tension between the two stories because the whole book is about Maggie not knowing and not trusting the things her father wrote. And so I thought it would be interesting to show both of them together bit by bit. No, and it works so beautifully and did the minute you turned it in to me. Um, I remember actually speaking of copy, I remember in doing the jacket copy, we, I don't think we coined this, but we call um, Maggie's father's book a horror memoir. Horror memoir. I'm wondering if you've read any in that category. Um, and did you kind of read any memoirs that touch on horror to get, get a sense of how House of Horrors would have been written? I read the Amityville Horror. Um, and that was for, for many reasons. One, I wanted, because that was the inspiration, like clearly, um, I had always been fascinated with the Amityville horror. I'd never read the book, but I knew all the stories. And what I found most fascinating was why, like everyone pretty much thinks, okay, this is a lie. This was a big old hoax. There are no demon pigs running outside that house, but why did they do this? And so that really made me interested in maybe telling a story about the child of these people that did this and how it would affect them. And, but I'd never read Amityville Horror, so I figured it was time. And I wanted to know what to avoid because I didn't want it to be like a complete retread of the Amityville Horror. But also just to get a feel for how these things were told. And so that was, that was my main source of research there. And then once I read it, I was like, done. Never need to read it again. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Were you scared reading it? No, because it's so well known now. That's not even scary. Right. 
I'm sure back in the 70s, it was terrifying because it was all brand new. But now we've seen this kind of story time and time again. And that was a challenge when writing the book within a book in Home Before Dark was I needed to make it scary. And so I had to try some things that hadn't been done before. I don't want to give any spoilers. So I imagine this is going to be maybe a roundabout answer, but um, is there a scene in Home Before Dark that you scared yourself while writing it? Snakes. There's a scene with snakes. <laughs> that scene that also, is... I have to say, I, put, I had to put down the book. <laughs> it's, it's, it's become sort of notorious now already, like the snake scene. And that's what I wanted because I, I knew that the book that Maggie's father wrote was this phenomenal bestseller. So I knew there needed to be parts of it that really would capture readers' attention and would justify this kind of success that the book got. And so I needed to have some iconic, scary, scary moments in it. And The Snakes is is definitely one of them. Very scary. Well, I have to say editing that scene was so funny because I remember I thought I'll diligently kind of fact check some things in here. And you were like, no, the whole point of this book is it would not have been fact checked. So... Yes. And there, there were issues with, with the, I remember like the copy editor would have some questions. Like they'd point out something like, oh, but this isn't real. This couldn't, I'm like, that's the point. It never really happened. So there's a lot of deception going on in the book within a book. Yes, absolutely. Um, and did, have you visited a haunted house that inspired um, Franbury Hall? Um, not any house in particular. Um, the, the closest building to Bainberry Hall is um, a bed and breakfast that in Vermont that I stayed in a couple of years ago. And it is on top of a hill and it's very old and very creaky. And it does have a little bit of the same history of Bainberry Hall at one point in its hundred year existence was owned by a Hollywood producer. So celebrities would stay there. And um, at this bed and breakfast, I think it had been owned by RKO at one point. And so that's where they would send their celebrities to have their affairs, which is crazy. <laughs> but So I, I, I built a little bit of that history into Bainberry Hall, but the actual physical building was just something I came up with more to suit the needs of the story. I, wanted, I wanted certain... <laughs> Certain areas had to be in that house and, and specific places. And so I sort of built it from scratch, which is fun. So fun. Yeah, you got to make up so much stuff. <laughs> really fun to build a house in your imagination. Yeah. Yeah, that's really fun. Um, well, I want to talk about your characters because you've written four female leads now. Um, and I'm wondering in your mind how Maggie... Is different like how her character was different right because all of your characters kind of are undergoing some kind of trauma in some way or another yeah my, my poor characters always come with like these really tragic horrible backstories or they're in a desperate situation <laughs> or, or they're in a very desperate situation and, and with maggie i wanted to try something a little bit different um yeah she's had the shadow of this book her father wrote with her all her life. And it's, it's affected her socially. It's affected her psychologically. She loves her parents, but she can't really trust them. And she hasn't for a very long time. But I wanted her to be 
just a regular person, kind of the have the same attitude as the reader going in. I didn't want her to be terrified of this house as soon as she stepped in the door because there's nowhere to go after that. And I thought it would be more interesting to have her be this complete skeptic and her to walk in there all brave, like this house isn't haunted. I'm just going to fix it up and it's, it's all BS. And then when she kind of starts to experience some creepy things, that's when it gets really scary for the reader because they're thinking, okay, if Maggie's starting to believe this, then maybe I should start to believe this as well. She, she's a lot tougher in the beginning than my other main characters. I can see that. They, they find their toughness as the books go on, but in Home Before Dark, Maggie kind of is already that way. She can, you know, put up wallpaper. She can swing a sledgehammer. She can replace floorboards. And can I ask, does the book kind of idea come to you first or do the characters come to you first? It, it depends on the book. In this case, it really was the idea. So I guess it was character, but not specifically Maggie. It was just, okay, I think I might want to write about a child who lived through an Amityville horror type situation. Now, what would that person be like and why would they go back to this house? And, you know, then that's when I started to think of, oh, maybe she's a house flipper and this is what she does and she doesn't trust her family. So that's where Maggie started to emerge. I love it. Yeah, I think Maggie's psychology is so interesting and the parenting choices her parents make are also so interesting to think about. And we, we had a lot of back and forth in the editing. I remember, yeah. And this is where the editing process, like I know some writers think, oh, I don't need an editor. You need an editor because you, you really pushed me. You were like, I, why is Maggie doing this again? I don't think it's clear enough. And I was all pushing back. Oh, it's totally clear. She's doing it for this reason. And I, I remember because I think it was, it was like two in the morning. <laughs> and oh, I, was no. just, I was just trying to think of like, okay, we really need to get Maggie's character down because the deadline is really coming up. And this book needs to be done. <laughs> and I wrote this, lo- like looking at your emails and my emails about Maggie and just, I like just was asking myself, who is Maggie? And that's when it hit me that that is really her quest. Who is Maggie? And that's right. what she wants to find out because the little girl in her father's book in no way resembles the woman she feels she is now. And she sort of wants to understand why. Like, that's the real reason she wants to know what happened in the house 25 years ago, because that's a key to her own identity that she is still missing. Yeah, no, it's it's so well done. Um, and I think... I miss Maggie. And you know, and you've kind of hung out with the character, so to speak, um, for so long. It's it's been a while. Um, haunted houses are a trope in the best way. Um, and I feel like as someone who you kind of skate the thriller horror line, do you feel like you always wanted to write a haunted house book? Was this inevitable? Um, and this time, you know, when thinking about a book, you were like, it's time to do the haunted house book, or did it surprise you? I think it was it's it's time. I mean, because there, I'd flirted with the haunted, you know, there were in, in home, lock every door, there was some 
hints that maybe there was something supernatural going on. Same thing in Last Time I Lied. And I just thought, it's inevitable. I'm going to do this at some point anyway. Um, I, I think I've, I've likened it to an actor playing Hamlet. Like, they all, pretty much every young actor at some point is like, okay, I have to play Hamlet just because. And I think in, with people who write scary books, at some point in their careers, they have to be, okay, it's time to, to face the haunted house and write my, my scary house book. And so that was definitely something that I figured it was, it was time to do. And I did it, and now I don't need to ever do it again, unless I want to. Yes, I hope you do at some point, just because you write very haunted house. Um, one of the many reasons I love working with you is, you know, you so genuinely love the horror thriller genre. And I feel like I learned so much from hearing about what you're reading and thinking about. So was there any inspiration for Home Before Dark that is a deep cut some listeners might not have heard of? Um, I, I steal from the best. <laughs> <laughs> and and there, there were some things that I really wanted to get in there. Like, um, I love the book, The Haunting of Hill House. I love the Netflix show. And I especially love the 60s movie version called The Haunting, which is hands down one of the most, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And so I wanted to do a little homage to that. And so there is a scene in Home Before Dark that's, that's pretty much rips off <laughs> The Haunting <laughs> completely. And no. I, admit, I, I admit that. And um, I just really wanted to pull from lots of different haunted house stories that we know about, because that's one of the things that was fun with um, the book Maggie's father wrote is that because it may or may not be true, he may or may not have taken things from haunted house stories that have come before (laughs) him. And so it's not supposed to be entirely original. It is playing around with the, the tropes and stereotypes and, silly haunted house experiences that we, we've come to expect. I know this book was challenging to write at times, which you've talked about publicly, but I have to say talking to you now, it's really nice to see you having fun with thinking back <laughs> to the researching and writing of it. <laughs> well, that, yeah, now, now that a year has passed, because last year at this time, I was feeling so very differently about this book, as you all know. Um, just when, when you're up against a deadline, it's just it's really hard to have any objectivity whatsoever. Like I just, and you don't know, like, it's like, I don't know if this book is good. I don't know if it's bad. All I know is that I need to get it finished. And so I'm typing as fast as I can and let's hope for the best. And so when the book actually does come out and people start to read it and respond to it, that's finally when I can relax and look back with a little bit more nostalgia on the creative process of it. Kindness to yourself because as an early reader, it really didn't come in in very good shape. So, Well, that's but what it, I try. I, I try to make your job as easy as possible. You're such, I mean, I just think you are ambitious, which is great, and hold yourself to high standards. Um, so speaking of readers, what is your, is there a theme here that you hope people take away? Like I know Lock Every Door kind of buried financial troubles, so to speak, um, in a statement on the economy. Is there any kind of buried theme here? There's, there's really not as, as far, you know, my other books have all had some kind of 
social commentary mixed in with the scares and the suspense. And in Home Before Dark, there really isn't. It's more about, you know, Maggie discovering herself and scaring readers along the way. Like that, that was my goal for this book. Like no social commentary, like lock every door. This was just, I really want people to be scared. And I have to say, no one could have anticipated the time this book would have come out. But I think you have been giving people the gift of escape into a scarier reality <laughs> than the one we're living in. So. <laughs> which, is, which is very difficult. Yeah. Because we are exactly. in a very scary reality at the moment. But yeah, it, it's, it's so funny to, to look back and think, okay, um, I didn't know that this book would be coming out when everyone is stuck at home. And so to have this book about a woman, she's not stuck there, but she kind of is, you know, to be alone in a scary house was, is just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird that that happened. No, I think, um, I actually recommended it to a friend recently who texted me. It was like, it's just such a joy to forget about the news and lose yourself in a really good book. So escapism is especially a gift right now. Um, I know the answer to this, but what are you working on next for your next deadline? I, my next deadline, which is coming up soon. Um, I, I, I'm always reluctant to say too much because one, things do change a lot yeah. in the editing process. Um, but I will, I will say, because I get asked this question a lot, like, what's your next book about? And so I just tell everyone um, the, the, the six-word pitch, which is a girl, a killer, a car. Because we've talked about structure, is there anything you want to say or allude to about how this one might be in line or different than your past books? This one, all my other books have had flashbacks in, in some form or another, or some sort of playing with um, time, whether it's the flashback structure in, in Final Girls or you know, the lock every door countdown where I started, you know, like seven days earlier, six days earlier. Um, this is just going to be just takes place over one night, pretty much real time, um, pedal to the metal, so to speak. And because we've talked about your characters, another very brave, but also um, very brave, traumatized young woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's my niche, really. And I, I feel bad. That I just, I give all of my characters just these, I put them through the ringer so much. And it, it's, it's difficult because I like them all. Me too. I really, I can kind of pick up with any of them at any time because they feel so real. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, but because you do read so much in the thriller space and are so generous to other authors, um, what has kind of made your summer most escapist? I loved The Lightness by Emily Temple. Which it's it's so good. And it's it's funny because on the surface it it's very similar to the last time I lied, where it's this teenage girl goes to this camp, although in the lightness it's a you know Buddhist Buddhist boot camp for bad girls is how she, she coins it. And she she falls in with this clique of girls run by this mysterious queen bee who might have ulterior motives for befriending her and so it's it's interesting to see like just how a similar plot can be done completely differently with a different setting and it just 
I, I really loved it. And the, the main character's voice is amazing. She's mm-hmm. so sarcastic and wry and funny, yet it's all done to hide this deep, deep pain that she has. And it was fascinating to me. I can't wait to read it now. And, and I just started reading, um, and I'm so psyched to like really get into this, um, Clown in a Cornfield by Adam Cesari. It's like, it's a YA slasher book. And I mean, just the title, Clown in a Cornfield. How awesome is that? And I oh just, I can't wait. I can't wait for the actual slashing to begin because I do love a good slasher. You're so much braver than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know you're also a voracious movie watcher. Are there any, is there anything you've been watching? I've really been watching not a lot during this whole pandemic. Um, I've, there's really been no binging of, I've been watching Perry Mason and enjoying that. That's, it's been very, very good. Um, but I've, I've watched a couple movies. It, it's really, I've, I've had a really boring quarantine to be honest. You've been busy. I, it's, it's, I've been busy. It's, it's been, most of my time has been, you know, promoting Home Before Dark and then writing the next book and, there, there hasn't been much time for the normal. There, there hasn't been much baking or, or binge watching like a lot of people I've been doing. I feel the same. Sometimes I get down on myself for not having created something like so many people are doing and you're doing actually. Well, yeah, I mean, but we, we all can't be Taylor Swift. She made me feel so awful about myself. She's like, here's an album that I did in three months. And I'm like, I'm still writing my book. I can't wait to read it. You will soon, I'm very excited. soon. And it was such a pleasure to see you. I feel like usually um, we kind of send each other stressed emails. <laughs> it's nice to have a chance to sit down and chat. We haven't actually seen each other since March. That's true. It's so good to see you. And, and that, was, that was days, literally days before this whole thing. I think that was like March 10th. I think about that. My quarantine started, I think, the 13th. So yeah, one of my last bits of human contact. I know. And I remember you and I had kind of one of those pre- going under lockdown conversations of what do you think is going to happen? And then we found out very quickly. <laughs> we found out and it's still happening. Um, well, it's such a joy to talk to you and also just to work with you book after book. And I cannot wait for the next one. Yes. I can't wait for you to read it and then to make it better. Because wow. you were very good at that. Well, those conversations motivated me to reread Home Before Dark before end of summer, which I can't wait to do. Oh, excellent. I hope you like it again. And now, here's an exclusive excerpt from the audiobook, courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. From the moment I enter the office, I know how things are going to go. It's happened before, too many times to count. And although each incident has its slight variations, the outcome is always the same. I expect nothing less this go-round especially when the receptionist offers me a knowing smile as recognition flashes in her eyes. It's clear she's well acquainted with the book. My family's greatest blessing. Also, our biggest curse. I have an appointment with Arthur Rosenfeld, I say. The name is Maggie Holt. Of course, Miss Holt. The receptionist gives me a quick once-over, comparing and contrasting the little girl she's read about with the woman standing before her in scuffed boots, green cargo pants, and a flannel shirt, speckled with sawdust. Mr. Rosenfeld is on a call right now. He'll be with you in just a minute. 
The receptionist, identified as Wendy Davenport by the nameplate on her desk, gestures to a chair by the wall. I sit as she continues to glance my way. I assume she's checking out the scar on my left cheek, a pale slash about an inch long. It's fairly famous as scars go. I read your book, she says, stating the obvious. I can't help but correct her. You mean my father's book. It's a common misconception. Even though my father is credited as the sole author, everyone assumes we all had something to do with it. And while that may be true of my mother, I played absolutely no part in the book, despite being one of its main characters. I loved it, Wendy continues. When I wasn't scared out of my mind, of course. She pauses and I cringe internally, knowing what's about to come next. It always does, every damn time. What was it like? Wendy leans forward until her ample bosom is squished against the desk. Living in that house? The question that's inevitably asked whenever someone connects me to the book. By now, I have a stock answer at the ready. I learned early on that one is necessary, and so I always keep it handy, like something carried in my toolbox. I don't really remember anything about that time. The receptionist arches an overplucked brow. Nothing at all? I was five, I say. How much do you remember from that age? In my experience, this ends the conversation about 50% of the time. The merely curious get the hint and move on. The morbidly interested don't give up so easily. I thought Wendy Davenport, with her apple cheeks and Banana Republic outfit, would be the former. Turns out I'm wrong. But the experience was so terrifying for your family, she says. I'd surely remember at least something about it. There are several ways I can go with this, depending on my mood. If I was at a party, relaxed and generous after a few drinks, I'd probably indulge her and say, I remember being afraid all the time, but not knowing why. Or, I suppose it was so scary I blocked it all out. Or a perennial favorite, some things are too frightening to remember. But I'm not at a party, nor am I relaxed and generous. I'm in a lawyer's office about to be handed the estate of my recently dead father. My only choice is to be blunt. None of it happened, I tell Wendy. My father made it all up, and when I say all of it, I mean all of it. Everything in that book is a lie. Wendy's expression switches from wide-eyed curiosity to something harder and darker. I've disappointed her, even though she should feel grateful I'm being honest with her. It's something my father never felt was necessary. His version of the truth differed greatly from mine, although he too had a stock answer, the script of which never wavered, no matter who he was talking to. I've lied about a great many things in my life, he would have told Wendy Davenport, oozing charm. But what happened at Bainbury Hall isn't one of them. Every word of that book is true. I swear to the great almighty. That's in line with the public version of events, which goes something like this. 25 years ago, my family lived in a house named Bainbury Hall, situated just outside the village of Bartleby, Vermont. We moved in on June 26th. We fled in the dead of night on July 15th. 20 days. 
That's how long we lived in that house before we became too terrified to stay a minute longer. Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Erin Leaf, and until next time, this has been Books Connect Us.